Welcome to the FPA Business Before Technology podcast, where our goal is to provide small business owners and key decision makers with valuable nuggets to help you grow or simply improve how you run your business, ultimately looking to increase your profitability. My name is Craig Pollock. I'm the founder and CEO of FPA Technology Services, and I'm your host for this podcast. Do you ever wonder what other business owners are running up against out there? Are you too busy working in your business to work on your business? Do you ever feel like you're in this thing alone? Are you at a crossroad with your business where some new ideas would help? For nearly 30 years, I've been helping companies grow and improve their businesses by leveraging technology, whether it's software, hardware, on-prem, or in the cloud, and at the same time, building FPA into the premier IT service provider in the greater Los Angeles area. This experience has given me exposure to hundreds of businesses and all sorts of systems, and as a lifelong learner has helped me gather all I could about the ins and outs of running a business. And these are the sorts of things I want to share with you on this podcast. In today's podcast, I sit down with Cheryl Mazarow, founder and president of Mazarow Commercial, a tenant-only real estate advisory firm. Cheryl works with businesses to help them not only find and lease their perfect office space, but also helps in between lease executions with ongoing cost-saving programs. In their engagements, Mazaro Commercial delivers more than just finding the office space and negotiating client-friendly lease terms. They really help navigate the commercial real estate market in a number of additional ways, like construction management, CAM expense management, and ongoing landlord interactions. I always love talking with Cheryl and getting the current pulse of the market, along with all sorts of business-benefiting guidance. I'm excited to have Cheryl on our podcast and share some of her insights with you today. So here we go. Let's dive into our conversation with Cheryl. Welcome, Cheryl, to the FPA podcast. So excited to talk to you this morning and peel back what's going on in the commercial office space area and Masro commercial specifically and get your thoughts on what's going on out there and learn more about what you do to help your clients. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to see you. Yeah, it's it's always awesome when we get together. I love our conversations. I thought this would be super beneficial these days. I've been wanting to get you on here for a while now, certainly post-COVID for a while now, and just talk about what's going on there in, in the commercial space, certainly as business owners and running our businesses, rent is probably, for our perspective, it's probably the third biggest cost, right? We have staff, healthcare, and rent might be two and three, depending on what's going on, right? But but before we dive into that, why don't, can you give us a little bit of background? Tell us where you came from, how you got to this place, and all that sort of fun stuff. Absolutely. So I grew up in a real estate family, and I always knew I was going to go into commercial real estate. I have a degree in urban studies, the studies of cities. When Hmm. I was in college, I got an internship at CBRE, one of the biggest real estate companies in the world. And when I graduated college, I went over to a company called Grubinellis, which was a publicly traded company at that time, which is no longer in existence. And I was there for about 20 years. And with the internet and information being as available to me in a public arena, because of the internet, I was able to start my own company in 2002. Uh, I ended up specializing in tenant and buyer advisory services because when I got there, I looked around the office, a bunch of men, 
a big open bullpen area. And um, I simply looked at the person who made the most money and I copied them. So that's how I ended up <laughs> great, specializing in yeah. advisory and buyer advisory services. Um, with a, a lot of good luck, I ended up loving it and feeling very passionate about the need for the occupier of facilities, whether it's an owner or a tenant, to sit in even negotiating table when securing real estate. Mm -hmm. So that's how I started. Interesting. Okay. So 2002, fast forward to 2023. So now we're 21 years into Masro Commercial. Uh, yes. Congratulations. That's awesome. So I know you do a lot of, you do a lot of different things. I think people, when you hear quote unquote leasing agent, you think certain things and I think different things now work in that ha having worked with you, but you think certain things and I'm not going to say good or bad, but just certain things, but I know that you and Masro specifically Masro commercial, you deal with things a little bit differently. Can you tell us about that? I think one is that you're tenant only, right? And tell us what that means and what you bring to the table here. We only represent again, the occupier, the question of the equation, whether it's a tenant uh, buying a building uh, or leasing a building. I think of it this way, you would never go into a court uh, permitting the opposing party's attorney to represent your interest. When you're buying real estate or leasing real estate, you need to have that same market information to secure the most aggressive terms of market will bear at that time. Rent creates the value of real estate. The ownerships want to create the highest income stream possible because that's the value of their real estate mm -hmm. that they either can sell or they can refinance. Our goal is to ensure our clients pay below market rates <laughs> and they have all the market intel and advantage of knowledge that the landlords negotiate leases or purchases day in and day out. You never go into court allowing the opposing attorney to represent your interest. Why would anyone ever sit down with a landlord who does this 365 days a year and tr try to secure a real estate transaction? If it's a leasing transaction, it even gets worse because you're probably going to end up personally guaranteeing it. Now, there's ways around that to lessen that burden. But it, as you pointed out um, a moment ago, Craig, it's really a substantial hit to the bottom line the cost of real estate, especially in the leasing arena. And if you, on top of that, personally guarantee it, you want to sit in even negotiating table with the other side. And that's what our services enable us to do. What we hear most often is we never knew your services existed, <laughs> which is hmm. always a little bit Interesting. frustrating. Right. Uh, after they've just did a transaction of some sort. Right. Uh, and we wish we knew you. Uh, it's a very obscure uh, arena that we work within. So what is what does a typical engagement look like for you? And I know typical is sometimes difficult to answer. You can give us that bell curve in the middle there. Like what does what what typical look like for you? We um, position ourselves as trusted advisors, as part of the executive team, just as your attorney, uh, CPA, your IT, you can't run a business without those uh, elements. And when you're dealing with real estate, you don't want to make a mistake because it'll cost uh, the organization significant dollars. So we do work under an engagement as any professional. Um, we represent our clients in anything they may do. Uh, for example, on a lease, 
Uh, we would represent them if they renew a lease or exercise an option, or in the event they relocated. Our market intel we bring to the table often points to the best decision is to stay where they are. And as any professional, we need to be compensated for our time and expertise. So we work under an engagement, an exclusive engagement letter uh, when we are retained by an organization. Okay. And normally, if we're just talking just, if we're talking about leasing office space for a company that has, I don't know, 5,000, 10,000 square foot of, of commercial real estate, mm-hmm. how does that work? How would you best describe that? Like in terms of time, time frame, in terms of when you should start looking, when you should be thinking about this, what does it look like between starting to look and we've assigned lease and we've got TIs built out and some people might not even know what TIs are, but I'll let, you, I'll let you go there. <laughs> There's a whole like, language that people are, are unaware, yeah. but that's standard. We don't know mm-hmm. what we don't know. Right. So when you're dealing with, take the scenario of dealing with a 5,000 square foot office lease, you, a tenant wants to start, hard to believe, 20, uh, two years prior to the real estate event, the real estate event being the lease expiration date. And the reason being, one of the reasons, hopefully, they have an option to renew. An option is a unilateral right to the benefit of the tenant to renew a lease. If I was a landlord, I would never get an option. It ties my hands. But on the other side of the table, the tenant or occupier side, we always want to ensure our clients are in control of the space and are never forced to move out. So if you have an option, it usually has a window that says you have to exercise it Either in some instances, it could be a year beforehand or not more than nine months and not less than six months, a very closed window. We want to put an option in this instance on the back burner and negotiate superior business terms. To be able to negotiate superior business terms, you have to understand what the market is. Mm -hmm. So we do a market study. We do an evaluation of location, quality, taking into account Uh, brand and cost and provide that platform of market information for organizations to determine what makes the most sense for them at that moment in time. And uh, we also, it also provides a substantiation of why the ultimate decision was made. In corporate America, no one wants to make a mistake. So Mm -hmm. they can look back and when two years later, someone says, why on earth are we located here paying this much rent? You can take out all the reports and the analysis. This is why we ended up here. This was the reason why. Mm-hmm. So getting back to the question, we do a market, so we understand what the client wants. We do a market study. Negotiations take a solid six months probably. And inclusive of that negotiations are the tenant improvements referred to as TIs. That is the construction that takes place within a premises. The cost of tenant improvements has gone through the roof. It was starting prior to COVID and has only accelerated, coupled with the challenges in supply chains and the cost of labor. There are a number of levers that we work with when we negotiate a lease, speaking specifically to a lease. You have the lease term, the rental rate, the escalation of the rental rate, abated rent, and TIs. They all work in conjunction with each other and we adjust them 
for the specific goals that a particular client requires. Tenant improvements, most tenants, we would never advise you pay for your own TIs. We want the landlord to take on that burden. We want all that risk shifted to them because that's a whole other issue with mm -hmm. ADA and accessibility. And we don't want our clients having that potential burden. Um, for tenant improvements, usually a landlord needs term, lease term, to amortize the cost and to have potentially some return on their investment. So you find the location, we go through the negotiations, we do the architectural space planning, then that it needs to be costed out by a contractor. Until we know what that dollar is, we're stuck in, everybody is stuck in the month, the landlord as well as the tenant. So all of these elements take time. Now, on an existing lease, there's something called a holdover penalty that stays in the lease. If you the tenant stays, even with the landlord's consent, there is anywhere from 150 to a 300% penalty that they will incur. So landlords want to put pressure on tenants to make decisions. So the less, when a, a tenant goes to a landlord three months before, they really shot themselves in the foot. They have no negotiating platform whatsoever. When you start 24 months in advance, you have tremendous opportunities to negotiate the most aggressive lease the market will bear. And you um, never want to get into paying holdover penalties. You want to put the option, if you have it, on the back burner and create superior business terms. I hope this hasn't been too confusing and I've offered you some clarity here. Yeah, no, this is good. I think this is good. I think one of the, the big theme that I'm picking up here is time, right? And the more time you have, the more strength you have. Whereas conversely, and, and this is why I think, dare I say, building owners, ownership, they, they don't have any sort of motivation to move quickly. Right. The longer it goes, the, the the closer you get to that termination date and the holdover rate, because being in business 30 plus years, I don't know how many leases I've worked through, eight, 10, something like that. Right. I pretty comfortable with what you're talking about just because I've gone through it so many times. Right. But where, where it's the closer we get, the less just the less leverage we have as the renter and the more leverage the owner the building the leaser has correct that is correct it, the landlord you hit it on the head the landlords want you to wait to the last moment time is a tenant's friend the landlord is a knife through their heart for a tenant to vacate they want to maintain that costs them a bloody fortune no one's going to walk in the day a tenant walks out and says this is just what i've been looking for if you have 52 offices, they want it. The tenant wants it all open space. If you have all open space, the new tenant wants 52 offices. So tenant retention is the name of the game. And it's a huge balancing act, as any negotiation is, mm -hmm. to get to that perfect point in time. But to answer your question, tenants want to start addressing it two years beforehand to ideally position themselves and maximize their negotiating platform. And in terms of we're talking a certain size square footage and we're talking just, again, assuming a certain size square footage, five, 2,500, five, 10, what have you, 20,000 square feet. And 
What are we seeing these days in terms of length of term? Are they five years, seven years? Uh, I'm sure, again, I don't know what people know out there. So the more information we can get out, the better, I think. The concept, we've all read in the media that all these empty supposed office buildings and one would presume the landlords are going to give the space away. The media is out for eyeballs and they're sensationalistic. The reality is a little bit different. And of course, each sub-market is different also. Generally speaking, I'm not speaking to downtown LA, but everywhere but downtown LA, um, <laughs> the vacancy is not as great as it was and rental rates continue to increase. This concept that no one's ever gonna be in an office isn't accurate. Even if organizations are in the office two days a week, they still need the office to go mm -hmm. to two days a week. So there is a, a continued need for facilities. They typically, because of COVID, tenants understandably want as short a term as lease as possible. But then we get in the issue about kind of improvements and the other concessions. Landlords are often, hands are tied by their loans that they have a, a minimum requirement of a lease term of three years and they cannot go below a certain price point in terms of cost per square foot. Often I have clients say to me, the space has been empty for six months, a year. Why don't they just give it to me at a lower rate? Probably because their landlord doesn't have that option. That is why we have the concept of what's called abated rent. It's not free. You may have been on a cocktail party and your buddy said, oh, I got five months of free rent. They didn't get free rent. They got abated rent. It's a cash flow issue. Lease terms are extended by the period of abated rent. It's no fun to be a landlord right now. It's very challenging for landlords and their hands are tied in so many instances. In terms of tenants, what we're generally seeing is three years, five years, and in some instances, seven years, depending on the length, uh, the cost of the TIs, the tenant improvements. Mm -hmm. We also urge our clients to be very proactive. We've just completed a number of lease transactions on lease renewals that are going to be taking place 15, 24 months from now because we are somewhat at a lower rental rate than we anticipate will be in the future. In California, the uh, California budget has, I believe, $400 million of incentives for landlords to convert their office buildings to residential. Okay. And what's happening is that the inventory will be shrinking. We see that in two-story buildings you may find out in the Conejo Valley, for example, you can envision how that could be. And there's even discussions about some of the high rises in Warner Center. So it's certainly interesting times in, in commercial real estate and finding that sweet spot is always really challenging for each particular tenant. No one has a crystal ball. A lot of this is because it's such a long-term engagement, right? It's when you're leasing office space, it's not only where are we at now, but where are we going to be at midway through the lease and where are we going to be at when the lease expires, right? And most businesses, most, not all, but I think most businesses are looking to grow. They're looking to develop their, right? You, you want to increase profits. You want to increase size, scale. All of that impacts office space. And 
making those sort of plans that 24 months from now, or, you know, again, depending on what your lease is, if you're in a five-year lease, then what is that? 30 months where you're halfway through, where are we going to be two and a half years from now? Where, right. And you have to, it's really a juggling act. I can't figure out the right words, but. It is. It's a, a complete yeah. balancing, balancing mm-hmm. act. And what we find in going through the process with our clients, they may determine what, where their comfort level is. If pricing is so much more aggressive on a longer term lease, in some instances, that's more comfortable. They mm-hmm. have a, a concept of what their future growth is, say for a wealth management or a law firm. In technology, our tech clients, it's really challenging because it could be explosive in terms of their people count. Right. Yeah, it's a very difficult decision to find that perfect place. I have many clients who say, I cannot possibly figure it out. I'm gonna go into an executive suite. The problem mm-hmm. with an executive suite, you're paying for that flexibility. Right. You're literally looking at double the cost. If you're looking at, let's just pull a number that's somewhat consistent throughout the market, 250 a square foot, you're looking at $5 a square foot mm-hmm. at an executive suite. Yes, you have that flexibility, but in addition to the cost, you lose your brand. Mm-hmm. And if you're cultivating an environment for your employees, it's pretty hard to do in an executive suite where you you can go into any office and it looks the same. Right. So it's, again, a, a balancing act in terms of priorities for organizations. And I, I'd throw out there, and maybe you can help explain this, but one of the, one of the things, I'm gonna, one of the things that I think, again, just I've been around so long, <laughs> is that CAM charges, right? A lot of people don't know about CAM charges. And wait a minute, why is my second year costing more? Because that's not in the lease. Actually, it is in the lease, but you don't really talk about it or hear about yeah, it. The landlord's not going to point that out um, so, again. Yeah. So what are CAM charges and like, why do they occur? And how does that all fit into the picture here? So rent is escalated in a number of ways. One is common area maintenance, which is referred to as CAM, or and as operating expenses. And it is the cost of running the particular asset. So let's just use an office building because we were speaking about that a, a moment ago. Most office buildings are what's called on a base year. That first year a tenant leases the space, the cost of running the building is included in the rental rate. And that's the base year. And any additional cost in running the building in subsequent years is passed through to tenants pursuant to their pro rata share of space they occupy in the building. And you need to be very careful because if the base year is supposed to be 12 months, if you start a lease in November of 2023, unless you're sophisticated and have advice, your base year is going to be 2023. And in January of 2024, you're going to have an increase. That's not quite how it should be, but it's under mm-hmm. landlords no, under no obligation to save the tenant money. Mm-hmm. That's on the on the right. tenant. Right. So those are operating expenses or CAM charges. Just had an instance. It was exactly that. They used the wrong base year mm-hmm. because we had the base year a forward year versus the year we moved in because uh, it was in the last quarter, I believe. And they were, they said, oh, this is right. No, look at the lease. Your base year is such and such. 
you have your operating expenses or, or CAM charges, but you also have an annual fixed increase in your base rent tends to be a standard in the market. For about my whole career, and we already established how long that has been, it's been approximately 3%. But with inflation, we're starting to see 35 or 4% annual increase on your base rent. The landlord's really double dipping because why is he getting or she an annual increase? Isn't that to take care of the cost of running the building plus the operating expenses? That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, landlords but, aren't going to tell you that. Right. Uh, one of my favorite things is my clients always say to me, oh, my gosh, the landlord is so wonderful. The first week, Friday in August, we have an ice cream social mm-hmm. or we have bagels once a month or the Christmas party. It's not a gift. <laughs> Those expenses you're paying for as a tenant, they're being passed through in the operating or common area known as CAM charges. And again, the landlord's not going to mention it. They're under no obligation to, but it's not a gift. It'll just it'll just show up on your bill in January, uh, your invoice. Wait Correct. And part of when we negotiate lease terms and review leases, we are not attorneys. We work in conjunction with attorneys, but we review the basic terms of a lease document is we want to have what's called a right to audit to give our clients some control that is not the wild west and the landlord can do anything they so choose which sadly we have seen (laughs) over the years generally speaking landlords operate their assets consistent with the market but mistakes are made they have clerical people doing this so they see a lease marked at 2022 they think the base year is 2022 and that's not always the case the other thing I'd add to, again, from experience is, like you said, they could make errors, but also adjustments, right? Where the following year, they realize that the previous year's cam charges were off, and then they do an adjustment. And you you would know more than I would, but I believe that's just baked into all all contracts, all lease agreements. I've gotten changes after we've already moved out of our space that a year before, oh, sorry, our cam charges were off. You owe us another $120.19. We're not even there anymore. (laughs) You're fortunate it was only 120. Or whatever. I'm making up the the number. I don't remember, but there are certain carve outs that a lease has to have. And again, Mm -hmm. it's the tenant's responsibility to be aware of this. That, for example, you can't get an operating expense statement 24 months after your lease expired. And that does happen. These are all done in massive clerical organizations. Often it's outsourced. I just had a situation where the uh, percentage of space they occupied changed. In their base year, it was one thing. And they sent off the operating expenses. And it would have cost that particular client $10,000 more. I said, no, look, here's the lease document. We do lease administration for our clients We're on a retained basis to avoid these problems. The devil's in the details and mm-hmm. as in it, as in everything of running a business. Yeah, no question. S- speaking of that, what are some of the speed bumps that you've run into? What are some of the examples, like you just said, could you share a couple of those that people usually run uh, into on, in on situations? A, a tenant wants to get their base year cost because that's what you compare your future bills to. Mm-hmm. Landlords is not gonna volunteer it. 
you have to request it. How do you have any basis if you don't know what your base costs are? You need to put a carve out in the lease that the square footage cannot increase. There's something called BOMA, which is called the Building Owners, Man Building Owners um, Managers Association. You can tell by the name, it's not advantageous to tenants. Mm -hmm. It's run and supported by landlords. And they remeasure buildings. They change the, the methodology to measure buildings so they can create more square footage to achieve more rental income. You want to carve out that says you can't increase it beyond X. I have many clients who have 200 square feet more than they had the day before they renewed a lease because the landlord remeasured the building. Now, how, how does that happen? How do they <laughs> remeasure a building and go, sorry, we made a mistake. Now it's 5,200 square feet you have. Often it's not even a mistake. If a lease that is not properly crafted will give the landlord to write the right to adjust the square footage. Hmm. And again, as a tenant advocate, we're going to put a cap on that. They, they somehow continuously modify the methodology for how a building is measured. It has to do with shafts and stairwells and common areas. And it's they never decrease in size, they only get bigger. So it's a really interesting concept about how uh, your space grows and it's the exact same square footage you had the day before. Yeah, I could imagine so. Tell me what what is what is your perfect client look like? My perfect client, my perfect, yeah. I'm sure you can sense this too. As professional trusted advisors, we want to be hired and we want to be listened to. <laughs> you are an right. expert in what you do, and presumably your clients hire you to listen to you. So our ideal client is a, a sophisticated individual who sees the value we bring to the table and that we have an expertise that they need. And we may not always be able to give the answers a client would like to hear, but we will all, always offer clarity and what their expectations should be. Okay. And have you, on on the flip side, what would you say, or do you have any, do you have an example of a client that just didn't work out? You tried and you tried. I think all professional service firms have had some clunkers out there and you, you'll learn from those, right? Do you have anything like that or... We always want our clients to be proactive and we urge them. And often we get the response is, oh my gosh, I can't even think about next week, let alone 15, 18 months from now. And their ability to negotiate, as we discussed earlier, becomes very constrained. A landlord knows exactly how long it takes to facilitate a relocation. They do this, like I said a moment ago, 365 days a year. Mm -hmm. They're experts. And it's high stakes. It's the value of a, a, their property that we're dealing with. The, it doesn't matter. I, I hear all the time from my clients, oh, the landlord's so nice. He's my friend. He's not your, she's not your friend. It's a business transaction. Right. That is probably the biggest message that people need to understand. Of course, they're nice to you. You're a client. <laughs> they're not going to not be nice to you. Right. It's a right. business transaction. Talk to me a little bit about one of the things that I think is valuable is the relationships that you do have with other leasing agents as well as other landlords. And I think that's having that relationship with landlords specifically is super valuable to have. But can you talk to that a little bit and tell us how that plays out for you? Yes. Every business is based on relationships. 
we were a team of three. We worked very hard to always do the right thing. And people know that. The landlords know that. The landlords know when we uh, bring a client to the table that our client is serious about their real estate and achieving a, an aggressive transaction and that their advisor is well-versed in the profession. And that translates to getting to where we need to be and very aggressive terms. We're informed and they know we're informed. And most importantly, they understand on a renewal, and 80% of our businesses renewals, that they, the landlord is at risk of losing their income stream, losing their tenant, if they don't create a market transaction. And that is just so important. So how does that, how did the relationships help your client? How does, can you peel that back a little bit more? I am uh, doing a renewal on a client. It's about 150,000 square foot building. The client is this is just an average size tenant. Mm-hmm. And the feedback that we've gotten through our negotiations is that, Cheryl, the landlord asked that I forward this to you, quote unquote, because it's Cheryl and we know how professional she and her associates are, we're willing to do this type of term. Please let her know it's based on because of our relationship. And we hear that over and over again about how our professionalism, there are people in our business, there are a few competitors who come in and they yell and they scream and they're disrespectful and that's just not the way to get it done. Yeah, and I think, again, talking about our experience, I know that's helped. I know that's helped in a number of different instances. And that's one of those things that you just, you don't just automatically get right? You have to work at it. You have to work at those relationships and it takes time and energy and effort. And it is one of the benefits of being around for a while, <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> right? I'm not saying anything for you. I'm saying about me, <laughs> but yeah. So I'm curious, I'd like to know since we're on the quote unquote business before technology podcast, how does technology play into things for you? I know as a three person firm, it's not the same as hundred people, um, but I'd love to hear it from you. How does technology help you out? It, we would have never, I would have never been able to start the firm in 2002, but it wasn't for technology. When I worked at Rub and Ellis, we had a huge, what they call it a research department, people making phone calls to find out what was available with the landlords. And then a, uh, a listing service, which we all commercial brokers use, became available and came at a price that individuals, smaller shops could afford. So if technology had not come in play, I'd still be at a big company. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> uh, so it also, Zoom is amazing. I had a space planning meeting, two space planning meetings yesterday, which would have taken all the participants, which means the landlord, the architect, myself and the client, the tenant, a good three hours to mm-hmm. drive there, have the meeting, drive back. We were done in 40 minutes and everybody was happy. And right. frankly, it was more efficient. The space planner, the architect was able to put up on screen and uh, move walls in real time versus we used to have a sketch pad and a week later, they come back with a plan that was faxed, not emailed. Right. <laughs> is that something, are you seeing more of that now post COVID than before? Or what are your thoughts on that? Yes, it's much more acceptable to conduct meetings of that. If that particular landlord was in San Francisco, hmm. he didn't okay. have to fly down, right. yet he could still participate. 
And the more the landlord participates, it's a clear message. They're quite serious about trying to retain that client. So mm -hmm. that's an excellent sign in that particular situation. So Zoom is here to stay. But again, I hear all the time, that's great, but I need to have a facility for my board meeting that happens once a month. Mm -hmm. And I need to have my own brand. I can't be shifting to whatever conference room may be available in a, an executive suite. Our lawyers, many of them, the folks don't come in every day, but they say to me, the senior partners, I can't bring up the younger generation if I never actually see them in person. There is something about being in person and the connection that you make, even just running into people in the hallways. It's different. It's a lot different. Right. And I think it's something was as, as much as we've latched onto this hybrid methodology, it has to be tempered. I don't think it can be a hundred percent. I think it's gotta be tempered in a way that you still have physical interactions. You still have real interactions. And the tough part is make it now has to be more intentional. Whereas right. before COVID it was like, that was just the default, right? It just was what it was. And zoom was a last ditch effort. Right. But opportunities happen when there's a fire drill and the senior partner is walking down the hallway and he sees someone say, hey, come into my office. You need to work on this. Mm -hmm. They have a fire drill they need to solve. And that's lost if you're not, if people aren't present, especially for folks just coming up in their career. Right. I question. Think really difficult. Yeah. I'd like to talk for a moment about lease administration, which is so important because leases don't happen that often. It's often thrown on the person's desk who has to, happens to have an availability at that moment in time, which isn't always that great because they're not familiar with real estate. Often it's the director of human resources. So that is always challenging and tenants don't want to put a lease in the drawer and never think about it. Leases have to be- They want to, but they shouldn't. <laughs> we already talked about operating right. expenses. Right. And what happens if it happens in year two of a five-year lease, it just compounds and compounds. So mm -hmm. what was a $5,000 issue? Five years later, is a $30,000 annual issue. So they need to be kept caught early. And I can't tell you how many people called me. My option expired and my lease is expiring next month. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I think you got a problem, unfortunately. <laughs> I think you called me too late, but okay. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so leases need to have attention. Um, and they, they just can't be put in a drawer. And leasing administration, can you, can you expand it? What, what does that mean? What do you guys do? We provide lease administration on a subscription service. I sound like I'm in IT. Yeah. Everything. Uh, a very reasonable uh, cost. And we provide, we review all invoices, most specifically operating expenses. Mm -hmm. We have a client recently, the building sold, the landlord was asking for higher insurance than the lease required. The tenant wouldn't know that. They would have no idea. They would have just paid the bill. Mm -hmm. So we um, do quarterly reporting uh, for our clients and we assure everything is going uh, along as it should. Key dates are... Uh, kept in mind um, with option periods, uh, lease termination dates. Again, the landlord is under no obligation to tell you your lease is expiring and you have that holdover issue. Right. Also, many landlords don't send invoices. And often tenants ended up, end up being penalized because the landlord didn't send an invoice. Under California law, there's no requirement. It's hmm. on the onus of the tenant to, to realize they have to pay their rent on the first of each month. And if you're not um, familiar with it, 
you would be waiting for an invoice. Yeah. How crazy is that? So that's uh, leasing administration is another service that you guys provide. That's great. Is there other things besides the initial sort of finding space, negotiating space? What, how does, yeah. How does Masro commercial? What other things do you guys offer? Hopefully we're retained for an assignment uh -huh. you know, to either buy a building or address a lease um, situation for an occupier. And after that is completed, we uh, provide, should the client elect, to do uh, lease, admin lease administration services. If tenant improvements are involved, we do construction management also. And again, that's a whole ball of wax. Uh, sometimes landlords and tenants agree to what's called an allowance. Mm -hmm. And how is that allowance uh, applied? Who is in control of that allowance? If it's a tenant's precious dollars, they're going to have a different perspective than a landlord who perhaps has the manager uh, in charge of that particular situation. So we construction management, again, puts our clients at an even negotiating table. The other side does this every single day to ensure those construction dollars or TI dollars go to the right place. And construction management in a lease, there's going to be a fee from the landlord, which can be negotiated significantly. Mm -hmm. What are they doing for that fee? We want to create a collaborative environment for success in terms of getting our client into that space on time so there's no holdover from the prior lease and within budget with as their risk reduced as much as possible you got to be really careful when you get into tenant improvements that you don't trigger ada issues a client who knew better and they triggered ada issues and they ended up having to spend dollars modifying the common area bathroom so the deeper you go the more complex it gets as in, but our jobs to ensure our clients avoid all those pitfalls that cost some money. No question. Um, so I wanted to take the conversation into a slightly different direction and talk maybe a little bit more about Cheryl and where Cheryl's at these days. So I'm curious, you've been doing this for a little while. What continues to drive you? You're at the top of your game. You're doing great things. The company's doing really well. Your reputation precedes you. All great stuff. Kudos to you for all of that. What drives you to continue that? I am really passionate about occupiers, whether they're buyers or users or tenants, sitting at an even negotiating table. They're taking often, there's such advantage taken in them simply because they don't know and the resources here so they can minimize their cost and protect their interests and not personally guarantee leases to the full amount. Uh, many of our competitors represent the landlords. And I love when I hear this, oh, that division represents tenants only. Think about this for a moment. If a landlord, if a, a brokerage company has a 100,000 square foot building to lease, but the guy next to you is going to just do advisor, tenant advisory work and get one-off deals, the company is gonna to wanna to retain the 100,000 square foot building. They can't possibly represent that individual small tenant uh, accurately. In fact, there's a California law now that in real estate, you have to identify who's representing who. Mm -hmm. There's this concept of called dual agency where the uh, broker represents both the tenant or the buyer and the, the tenant or the buyer or the landlord uh, or the seller, which is just, 
craziness, going back to my comment early, earlier that you never go into court allowing the opposing attorney to represent your interest. So I'm, I feel very passionately about that. We've had the good fortune to work with our clients that started out with 1,500 square feet and now have 15,000 mm -hmm. and really be part of their executive team over a long period of time. Some instances going to the second generation. And it's it's wonderful to be watch our clients grow and address their issues as they come up through the life cycle of their businesses. Really yeah. enjoy it. We really enjoy doing it. That's awesome. I think it's, you know, to me, life's too short to be around people that don't enjoy what they do and aren't passionate around that. I think that's just, I love hearing that. So kudos to you for that. Um, what do you think you would tell your 25 year old self now that you know all that, well, would you do anything different or? I really don't think so. It's really been a great ride professionally and personally satisfying and giving back and being generous of heart. And it is business, of course. Mm -hmm. Maybe perhaps thinking um, I could have grown the firm and had more people. But we're that gets tricky to be ensure you can deliver the quality of service that needs to be delivered. Yeah. T tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, transitioning from doer to the leader of doers. It's not easy. No question. And uh, I like to be in the trenches. Yeah. I don't want to manage. I like what you do. That's great. Yeah. yeah I, I want to be involved and in touch with my clients and not do administrative managing people, mm -hmm. telling them what to connect it to that. What would you tell your 25 year old self? If someone asked you, what would be the most important piece of advice that you or life lesson that you would give somebody? I strongly believe that people need mentors. I've had a couple over the year, over my career, I invaluable to have a mentor and people you admire, try to get in contact with them, follow their career path, always reach out, always be open to growth and never discount an idea until you've thought about it in, in great detail. Hmm. The world's a big place. There are a lot of different views on things and you want to Available, avail yourself to having a broad view to determine what makes the most sense for you. I love that. That's awesome. I would say, if I get to if I get to help answer the question for you, I would say that one of the things that I've learned, I think I've learned from you, oh. is the value of relationships and how important relationships are. And being members of Provisors is more of an outlet than a hey, I need to be this way, therefore I'm gonna act this way. It's more, hey, I act this way, now I'm in a place where I can do this, right? Meaning create relationships, help other people, give back. And I think that, yeah, again, I'm answering the question because I, I feel so, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? So bad with words these days, but I feel like that's a, a gift you've given me over the last X number of years. We met at, I don't know what it's been, eight years or so, something like that, maybe. And you've been nothing but giving in relationships. And I thank you for that. So oh. that's a big lesson that I've learned just watching you. Connecting people um, yeah. is something I do all the time and get a great deal of um, ha happiness from doing that because it benefits other people. And it's a win situation for the individuals I introduce and certainly me just, we all live in a 
we all need to show some humanity. Yeah. And it's, it's, I don't want to say it's harder and harder to see, but it's, you see less and less of it these days, right? It doesn't, like you said, it doesn't get eyeballs, right? It it doesn't, good stuff doesn't get shared enough. And And especially Zoom, it doesn't help that either because we're not as together. We're not networking in group environments as we, as as frequently as we did before. And then all the news today about, oh, we're gonna have to wear a mask again because of COVID, another COVID thing happening is, oh no. Yeah, who knows, <laughs> who knows, I know. It's just such interesting times we live in, but I think we're pretty close here. We're running up on our time here. I'm looking at my stopwatch. And any last words of wisdom? You've given us so much to think about here. And definitely if anybody out there's thinking of leasing or has any questions about leasing, definitely Cheryl's, God, I was going to say Cheryl's the man, but Cheryl's the person, Cheryl's the one that you should be getting in contact with. Any words of wisdom to share with our listeners at this point or? Yes. Don't go to the table alone. It will cost you. Super important. Yeah. Significant aggravation and dollars. It doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. Thanks so much, Cheryl. In terms of where people can get in touch with you, I know we'll have all of the your contact info in the show notes. We'll have all that there for anybody who wants to get in touch with you. But I thank you so much for this. This has been hugely beneficial and I think hugely educational. And I'm sure our listeners thank you as well. So thanks so much for your time and I really appreciate it. Thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. And that was Cheryl Mazarow, founder and president of Mazarow Commercial. I hope you found our conversation as interesting as I did. It's always great to dive into the mind of a subject matter expert like Cheryl. And there were certainly a lot of nuggets there. I hope you can leverage some of them in your business. Thanks again, Cheryl, for your time and sharing all your great thoughts with our listeners. If you'd like to find out more about what Cheryl and Mazaro Commercial has to offer or want to connect with her, check out the show notes for more details. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.